0: Netflix had a big hit with The Witcher. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It was a big win for them because it did well with their digital ratings. It also went over very well with audiences. I personally loved it, but I'm a big Henry Cavill fan. But that notwithstanding, I thought the show was fantastic and it really scratched that little sword and sorcery itch that a lot of the viewers had and were waiting for. Well, it looks like Netflix is going to try to go back to that sword and sorcery, Kind of a uh, motif again, because it's just come out this morning. Uh, this is why this isn't off the top that Netflix is working on developing a Conan, the barbarian season uh, or series. I should say, obviously, Conan has been around around uh, longer than the Witcher. But anyway, this is what it says over at Deadline. Netflix has put into development an epic live action series based on Conan, the iconic sword and sorcery character created by Robert E. Howard, uh, I have learned. I hear the project from Frederick Malmberg and Mark Wheeler's Pathfinder Media is the first in a deal between Netflix and Conan Properties International, owned by Malmberg's Cabinet Entertainment. The pack gives Netflix exclusive option to acquire the rights to the Conan Literary Library and develop works across TV and film, both live action and animated. Now, here's where it gets kind of of interesting here a search is currently underway so they don't have a script or anything yet they have no script they have no they have nothing right now except a deal in place a search is currently underway for a writer slash showrunner to pen the conan uh adaptation and and to try to find a director to helm the project Malberg and Re- Re- wheeler will serve as executive producers on the potential series through their pathfinder media so it looks like we're going back to conan again now listen I have been a Conan fan since the original Conan days with, uh, by by the original, I don't mean the 1930s novel. I, of course, mean the Arnold Schwarzenegger classic with that score by Basil Poblodurus, like that just iconic music. You got James Earl Jones in there. Loved it. Now, they took a crack at Conan again a couple of years ago, and it's pretty much universally hated. I didn't hate it, though. Personally, I didn't hate it. I actually thought it had some upside, particularly the first act. I thought the first act of the film was pretty good. And of course, that's the one that stars Jason Momoa and uh, Stephen Lang from Avatar fame as the main villain. And I thought Stephen Lang was great. I thought Jason Momoa made a very good Conan, as a matter of fact. And I thought the first act was pretty good. It kind of fell off the wheels. And at the end of the day, is it a great Conan movie? No, no, it's not. But I, I personally didn't hate it as much as most people. I am a big sucker for maybe it's my Dungeons and Dragons background or my Lord of the Rings fan, but I'm a big sucker for sword and sandal kind of movies. I really am. And sword and sandal kind of shows. Hell, I even used to watch, you know, the uh, the uh, Hercules Great Adventures, whatever that one was called. That was on TV and Xeno Warrior. I even used to watch that crap because I'm a sucker for that stuff. So I am instantly interested in a Conan. Of course, probably much like other properties, one of the key things here is going to be, who do they get to play Conan? Because if you're playing Conan the Barbarian, there's no way around it. There is a physical type you have to get. Like, you can't, you know, I always say, I don't care what actor you get for what role, as long as it's a good actor, right? That's all that really matters. But you can't go out and get Daniel Day-Lewis although he is the goat and the greatest actor of all time, you can't go out and get Daniel Day-Lewis to play Conan the Barbarian. You just can't. I don't care how much, how many, I don't care how much horse steroids you pump into him. I don't care how much he works out for the next two years. You can't get Daniel Day-Lewis to play Conan, right? So it's going to be very interesting to see where they go with Conan. I don't want a wrestler. I don't want Triple H. I don't want whatever. I, I just, It'd just be interesting to see where they go. Now, of course, the one problem they may face is the whole notion of how is a Netflix audience going to respond to a Conan story in the era, era that we have The Witcher? You know, there used to be this joke that would go around that. You know, uh, people just got mad at Lord of the Rings because it was a ripoff of Dungeons and Dragons, well, which, of course, was a joke because Dungeons and Dragons was around first. I wonder how many people who may not like truly be aware or have never really experienced that original Arnold Schwarzenegger movie might think eh, this kind of feels like a Witcher ripoff. I mean, they're very, very different stories, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think that Netflix can sustain two kind of shows like this going on at the same time? Hey, I think if they're done right, why not? like network television has 15 cop procedural shows and 12 hospital procedural shows going on at the same time why can't netflix have a couple of sword and sandal movies i don't know what do you guys think about it jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys With that down, let's move on to our main topics of the day. And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Gerald McFarlane, who writes, I know you consider yourself a big Zac Efron fan. I am a big Zac Efron fan, as a matter of fact. So I thought you'd love the news that Efron has just signed on to star in the new Firestarter remake that Bloomhouse is doing. I'm not really one to like remakes a lot, but I loved Invisible Man and that Bloomhouse did that one too. So I'll give this one a shot. What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, Zach Efron, listen, in a world that doesn't give Zach Efron a lot of credit, I unabashedly am a big Zach Efron fan. I think he is a tremendously, you guys have watched my show for a while. You guys know I've said this a lot. I think he is a tremendously underrated talent. I really do. I think he's tremendously underrated. And I think the main reason he's been underrated is because of the fact some people don't like the movies he happens to appear in. What we as film fans often do is we mistake whether a movie turned out great. And we sometimes, you know, erroneously equate that with how good the actor must be that's in it. I remember I saw Zac Efron. The first time I really saw Zac Efron, that made me go, holy crap, this dude can act was in this little movie he did with Claire Danes, I believe, called Me and Orson Welles. And it was a, s- a small film that came out, I don't know, eight years ago. But I remember when I watched that, because to me at that time, Zach Efron was just a high school musical kid. But when I saw that, I was like, holy crap, this guy's good. And I recently loved him in Greatest Showman. And then he was in that Ted Bundy movie. I mean, he's just constantly showing he's got really good acting chops. So I'm a fan of his. He's got that little show on Netflix going on right now where he's traveling around the world. Anyway, we now know that he has been cast to join uh, up with the project being done by Blumhouse for Firestarter. Now, the original Firestarter with Drew Barrymore, George C. Scott, Martin Sheen, it's got a special place in my heart because I watched that when I was real young. And (laughs) pardon me. I watched that when I was real young and it made an impression on me. Hmm. Who am I kidding? scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Scared the hell out of me as a kid. But for whatever, but it's just always stayed with me. So no, it is not a great movie. (laughs) The original Firestarter is not a great movie. But as you kind of pointed out in your message, it's Blumhouse, man. I mean, listen, if you had to ask me, do I think an Invisible Man movie is going to work? Particularly a really low budget. Remember, they made Invisible Man. In the era where a lot of films are being made with $100 million budgets, $150 million budgets, $200 million budgets, they made, Blumhouse made Invisible Man for $8 million. $8 million they made Invisible Man for. And so was I really thinking that was going to turn out to be much? No, but I was really entertained by it. I thought what Blumhouse did with that movie was tremendous. I, I found it to be a thoroughly entertaining movie in the wacky year that 2020 has been. It still stands as one of my favorite movies of the year so far. So why not sign me up? And so then you go from that and you're adding a talent like Zac Efron, who I think can elevate the material he's in. And to me, yep, I'm on board a fire starter remake by Blumhouse putting who I think is one of the more underrated actors in the world. Sign me up Now, you got some key roles you got to fill still, right? What do you, Who are you going to do with the kid? I mean, Drew Barrymore isn't seven anymore, so what are you going to do with the kid? Uh, who's going to play that like George C. Scott kind of role? There's a lot of question marks still surrounding this project, but for right now, with the production company behind it, with the actor they've just cast, sign me up, I'm on board. Question is, what are you guys Think about this announcement, this move. Maybe you think Firestarter is a movie that should have just been left alone and never touched. Is as bad. Maybe you're as excited about it as me. Maybe you like the casting of Zac Efron. Maybe you don't. What do you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to, submitted to us by Tina Almeida, who writes, Hi, John and crew. Hello, Tina. Uh, I Where is that? Amazon has officially acquired the rights to the Borat sequel. Oh, yes, it has. <laughs> they have officially acquired the rights to the Borat sequel um, and will drop it next month. Also, apparently, Sasha Barra Cohen had to wear a bulletproof vest in some scenes, which only makes me wonder, what the hell are we going to see? What are your expectations for the movie? All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, Borat is back. Now, we just talked the other day on the show about the fact that, oh my gosh, did you hear that Sasha Baron Cohen has secretly filmed? Like this is just like two weeks ago that we found out that Sasha Baron Cohen had secretly filmed a sequel to Borat and had already even screened it for some studio execs. It's like, how in this day and age do you secretly film a major motion picture? I don't know but he did it. And then here we are just a couple weeks later and it's been announced. The movie is coming out and it's going to come out on Amazon in October. It's coming out, well, about a month from now. It's It's going to be less than a month from now. Borat 2 is going to be coming out less than a month from now. This is what we get from Deadline. Sacha Baron Cohen's Borat sequel, which was filmed and edited in secret earlier this year, now has a release date. Well, it's actually more of a release window since the official date hasn't been revealed quite yet. Borat 2, which just received its own uh, ludicrously long title in keeping with the 2006 original film's official title, will be dropping on Amazon Prime Video in time for the 2020 presidential elections. Deadline broke the news about the Borat 2 release, but they don't know precisely when the fi- when the film will be making its debut on Amazon Prime Video. Instead, all we know is that will arrive sometime in late October. Now, I've got this as credit if it's coming from Deadline. This is actually coming from Slashfilm, uh, who is talking about the report they read in Deadline, obviously. Now, it should also be pointed out that in that Deadline article, they originally said the release date was October 23rd, and then they pulled that information, and now it's currently set sometime for late October. And the actual name of the movie. Oh my gosh, let me see. Let me see if I can actually find it. Okay, here's the actual name of the movie. The actual name of the movie is Borat, Gift of Pornographic Monkey to Vice Premier Mikhail Pence to make benefit recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan. Yeah, good luck remembering the full title. Good luck remembering the full title. Um, look, here are my thoughts on this. I was completely caught by surprise by the original Borat movie. I was totally caught by surprise by it. I was expecting some kind of funny, jokey kind of little thing. And it is certainly funny and it's certainly kind of jokey. But the first Borat movie to me is actually one of the smartest movies I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it was ridiculously funny. Ken Davidian as... uh, Oh, what was his character's name? He's the guy who goes around with Borat all over the place. I'm forgetting the character's name. But Ken Davidian, who played the guy, I wonder if Ken Davidian's in this. I hope Ken Davidian's in this. I loved him as kind of Borat's sidekick uh, along the way. But that movie was ridiculous. It was absurd and it was funny, but it was brilliant also in its simplicity and this is the one of the things that really stood out to me about the first film was that it was brilliant in simplicity of all the movie really did was took us as a culture and held up a mirror. That's all it did. It, 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 in the midst of this over-the-top, ludicrous character of Borat, really what it was, was an artist who just kind of created some scenarios and just held up a mirror so we would see ourselves in our own absurdity, in our own ridiculousness. Sometimes when we were looking in that mirror, we saw some things that we didn't like very much. Sometimes when we looked in that mirror, it showed us things that let us laugh at ourselves. Sometimes when we looked in the mirror, the movie showed us things we should be ashamed of ourselves for. But it, there was, it was incredibly intricately beautiful in that simplicity funny, ridiculous, over the top, haha! Ha, but at the same time, and it didn't even make commentary. Like, that's the thing about the first Borat film. It didn't even make commentary. It literally just was, okay, I'm going to create a weird situation, and I'm just going to let you see yourselves what you guys do, like to, to us as a Western culture, right? And I thought it was brilliant in that way. Now, as much as I loved Borat, One of the very, very few films I have ever given a 10 out of 10 to back when I used to give numerical scores, I gave that movie a 10 out of 10, one of only like seven or eight films I've ever done that for on my first viewing the movie doesn't have the replayability that a lot of other great movies have. And I think that's partially because of the nature of the film. So like my second viewing wasn't as good as my first, and my third viewing wasn't as good as my second, but because you know, that, that shock and that novelty and that awareness of seeing that reflection of our own culture being reflected back at ourselves through the mirror that Sasha Baron Cohen holds up. <laughs> the effect of that is diminished after the first viewing, but that first experience though, That first experience watching that movie was unbelievable. I wonder, though, if a second movie can work today. I'm not saying Sacha Baron Cohen isn't as sharp as he's always been. He obviously is. But because Borat, as brilliant and almost perfect as it was in its first viewing, because that novelty kind of dissipates after the first viewing... I'm wondering if that novelty can still be as effective in a sequel. And I remember I brought that up with Rob when we first talked uh, about the fact that he had secretly shot this movie. I said, you know, the only, like, I, I love this news. I'm looking forward to seeing this. But watching it a second and third time, not as good as the first time. Well, going back to see a sequel of it, we're starting from a position that we already know this character We already know the shtick of this character. So will it be able to be effective when we're already prepared for it? Because that was part of the effectiveness of the first movie, right? Part of the effectiveness of the first movie was that we were completely unprepared for it. We were completely unprepared for this Borat character. And so it kept us on our toes, which added to, because we never knew what he was going to do. And it added to the effectiveness of the movie overall. I am not saying that won't work in a sequel. I am simply asking the question that I wonder if it will still work in a second film when that unpredictability, when that newness, when that unfamiliarity we had with Borat is no longer there. Now we know the character. Now we know what to kind of look for. Now we kind of know what he might do in a scenario, whereas before it would catch us totally off guard. So I'm just wondering, I'm very much looking forward to it. I can't believe it's coming out in just a few weeks. I'm very excited about it. I just have a little bit of cautious optimism because I wonder if the novelty is already played out. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Guys, question is, What do you, by the way, they dropped the first trailer for it. Like it's just this little 30 second sizzle, which is really hilarious. (laughs) Like they put it up on Twitter or something like that. I don't know if you guys saw it. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, Bidin's breath so bad. He must wear a mask. I mean, I thought it was pretty funny. I don't know. What do you think about this whole Borat 2? It's coming out on Amazon Prime in just a few weeks. Are you looking forward to it? Do you think it'll be as good as the first one? Maybe you didn't even like the first one. Maybe you think this will be an Oscar winner. Maybe you think it'll be terrible. I don't know. What do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator, who writes, Hey, John and gang. After this whole shutdown, it looks like a lot of theaters are going to be shut down permanently, which reduces the amount of available screenings for future films. Looking at how massive Endgame's record-breaking opening weekend and final gross was, do you think this may never be broken, especially if the future involves more streaming? All right. Thanks for sending that in, Geeky Gator. And yes, that is going to be, that's a huge question right now. It's a massive question right now because we right now are living in a situation. We're living in an environment right now where, yes, the theaters are closed. Now, we've talked about this a bit before, but let me set it up again here just for the the context of this conversation. You know, for for months, I've been very optimistic that the theaters will get open in time to play some catalog movies to get people back into the habit a little bit of coming back to the movies. And then Tenet's going to open. And then once Tenet's open and hopefully he can make a little bit of money, then the next big film will come out. Wonder Woman, Black Widow, things like that. And then we will be on the road to recovery as far as the movie theater and, and the movie industry itself goes. But while Tenet has come out and it's uh, I think today it crosses 300 million at the box office. Hey, in the age of a pandemic with all the theaters having been closed for almost six months, that's not terrible. It is terrible under normal circumstances, but I contend that that's not terrible. But the problem we now face is the fact that all these movies that were supposed to follow up, all of these movies that were supposed to come after Tenet, all of these movies, these bigger movies that were supposed to come and keep the momentum going after Tenet, They've all moved. Wonder Woman 84 moved. Black Widow's officially moved. As of right now, they're still saying soul is going to come out. I have my doubts that soul is actually going to come out. They're still saying it will, and, and maybe they're right. Maybe it will, but I have my doubts right now. It's created an environment where... The head, One of the head guys at the National Association of Theater Owners, which kind of represents all the theaters, has come out and said, yeah, we're probably going to see a bunch of movie theaters closed down again. Because without new movies, without big new movies to draw in the audiences, it costs more money to be open than it is to be closed. And so we're going to be right back to square one again. Going right back to square one again, as you pointed out in your email means that a lot of movie theaters were, which were already precariously close to the edge of going out of business are going to be going over the edge. They're going to be going over the edge and they're going to go out of business. I mean, as a matter of fact, China already reported like something like 40% of their theater chains are going to be closed by the end of the year. Not just closed like temporarily, but like out of business. We've been talking a lot about the trials and tribulations of AMC theaters. They're in a lot of trouble. But now it's no longer just AMC theaters. Now it's Regal too. It's Cineworld. It's Cinemark. It's Landmark. There's a lot of theaters. So we are now getting precariously close. So not only are we now, we're going to have to reset that whole winding everything back up again. Forget it. It's all been – it was all for naught. Everything's going to be set back to zero again. And on top of that, a lot of theaters are going to be in a lot more trouble than they were before and some of them aren't going to come back at all. We could be looking quite literally at a theatrical apocalypse. We could be seeing – now, honestly, I thought before and I completely believe I was right – I completely thought that the movie theater industry will completely be fine, provided things go the way we think they're going to go. You know, as we get into September, some theaters will open back up. They'll play some catalog films and then Tenet will come out and then Wonder Woman come out and we'll not everything will go back to normal right away, but we'll get there, right? That belief that I had for the longest time is completely facing new challenges now. Now, I don't know that I believe that anymore. I don't know that I believe that the theatrical side of things can survive this. And if the theatrical side doesn't survive it, it's going to change the movie studio system forever. It's going to change it forever. You think we're going to get 10 to to 15, 150 million to 200 something a million dollar huge ten ten-pole blockbusters a year anymore without the movie theaters? Nope. Say goodbye to those days. Bye-bye. We're not going to get those types of movies anymore. At least not to the in the level and in the quantity that we've been getting accustomed over the last decade in getting them. It's just not going to be like that anymore because there's not without the theaters there there's not enough money. There's just not enough money available, not certainly not through streaming. The money ain't there through streaming. The real money is in the theaters. So with all that context, what does that mean for things like box office records? Well, it changes things, right? It changes things. It changes the fundamentals of the question. Because it's one thing to say, hey, could, um, you know, end games opening weekend box office record ever be broken? Under normal circumstances, the answer to any question that has the word ever or could is always yes. Yes. Ever? yeah, Someday that opening weekend box office record will be broken. Yes, that could happen someday. Could they make another Dragon Ball Z live action film? Yes, they could. May not be this year, may not be in the next five years, but it could happen. And whenever you ask could or ever, the answer is almost always yes. But what happens if the nature of reality changes? You know, back in the days when a professional sports league had a 40 game season and you ask, hey, can that guy's. Could that guy's, you know, point record stand forever? Well, it could. It could. But what happens when the nature of the reality changes? Now sports leagues have 80 game seasons, 90 game seasons, 160 game seasons. Suddenly now that could completely changes. That ever completely changes because the nature of the reality of the context is completely changed. So six months ago, could movies like... Avatar and Endgame get their box office records broken? Absolutely. Ever? Yeah, it may not be in the next five years, may not be in the next 10 years, but ever? Absolutely. But what if there's no movie theaters around? Or what if there's only half of the amount of movie theaters around anymore? Suddenly, that could or ever question is irrelevant because the nature of the reality of the context is completely changed. Yeah, in a world where there's a whole ton of these healthy theater chains operating, there's 7,000 screens across America that are selling out tickets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, in that environment, in that reality, yes, those records are going to be broken. Eventually, somehow, some way, someday. But if the nature of that reality changes, and we no longer have 30% of the theaters, and we no longer have 40% of the screens, then I don't know. Like, honestly, right now, and I'm, I'm going to make a, a thoughts on walks about this fairly soon, but we are on the precipice, possibly, of a complete, complete systemic paradigm shift in in the entertainment industry as a whole. It's going to change everything. And there's a lot of blissfully ignorant people. And when I say that we all live in blissful ignorance once in a while, like it's great not to be aware of some things. I think there's a lot of film fans right now who are just blissfully ignorant of the fact that they just think, oh, well, if the theaters aren't there, then we'll still get all the same movies and we'll still get all that. It'll just be on streaming. No, it won't. No, it won't. Rothman over at Sony gave a great explanation about that. It's just not. It's going to change everything. It's going to change everything in ways we can't even predict right now. And I'm not going to lie to you. That scares me. It does. As somebody who's a lifelong film fan, that scares me. I mean, I've got a whole diatribe to go on about how terrified I am just of losing the theatrical experience. Like movies are great on any screen. It doesn't matter if it's on my computer screen, on my 75-inch television downstairs with my surround sound speakers, whether it's on my phone. Movies are great. But none of that stuff comes close to the actual theatrical experience. Nothing comes close. Nothing. Nothing comes within a whiff of an actual theatrical experience. That experience of actually making an event out of it, getting together with your significant other or friends or family, heading out for the evening, going into this theater with hundreds of other film fans there to watch a movie where we cry and cheer and gasp and jump scare and whatever all together. It just on this massive, real large screen, not your piddly little 75-inch TV nonsense, but a real big screen. And, you know, not just doing what you do every fucking night, sitting at home. I'm like, oh, this is great. No, like getting out and going out with friends and making a night out of it. Just everything about the theatrical experience. The, the, the notion of losing that, oh, it breaks my heart, guys. It breaks my heart. And I've never wanted to believe it, but I'm starting to think we might be heading there sooner than I thought. And I wouldn't feel that way if Wonder Woman hadn't moved. If Black Widow hadn't moved, I wouldn't feel that way. But I do now. And so, yes, getting back to the fundamental question of are we ever going to see Avatars 10 years as the number one film at the box office of all time get that record broken? I don't know that we ever will now. Will we see that that current mark set by Avengers Endgame ever get beat? I don't know that we ever will now. Will we see that all-time North American domestic box office record that's held by Star Wars, The Force Awakens? Will we ever see that beat? I don't know that we ever will now. I think these records may be the last bunch that we get, and I hope not. I hope not. I hope we see this big turnaround. I hope we see this big recovery. I hope we have better days ahead. But as a film fan, I'm nervous. I'm really nervous. And I'm sure you guys are feeling that too. And the longer this goes on, the more and more question marks that pop up, right? Like every day that passes, it just creates more questions. So it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of all evolves. And can the industry be more resilient than I'm giving it credit for? Can this studio theatrical industry that has been in place for longer than I or my parents or my grandparents have been alive, can it be more resilient than the current challenges we're facing? Maybe. I hope so. But I'm getting pessimistic. Question is, guys, what do you think? Now, obviously, all of the things being equal, yes, we'll see these box office records eventually beaten at some point. But not all things are equal, and we might be in a time where the paradigm has shifted. Do you think we're going to see these big box office records now broken? Jump down into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, we're now going to move on to our live questions part of the show and taking your live comments and questions. By the way, once again, if you want to get one in right now, you can still get one in. Use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video. You can just click on it there or enter it, streamelements.com slash Slash tips. So with that down, let's get on over to your live questions, shall we? And we're going to start things off here with Willow and Willow writes, you've said that studios are amoral and only care about making money. Would the lack of diversity in the past then be more because of the movie, because the moviegoers weren't showing a demand for stories with minority characters rather than the fault of the studios? That is a great question, Willow, because, yeah, there are there are two truths that are not mutually exclusive truths. Like, you know what mutually exclusive truths are, right? Like that water is hot. That water is cold. They cannot both be true at the same time. Right. Right. However, there are truths that are not mutually exclusive. Those two truths are, number one, for over a century, the Hollywood film industry has had a very active and aggressive agenda of exclusion. There has, for over a century in Hollywood, been a very active and very aggressive agenda of exclusion. Um, You know, it's been the boys club, the white boys club, the, right, the white straight boys club. Uh, I am a member of the white straight boys club. Thank you very much. I'm proud to be. But there has been an agenda to exclude it to just that. The second truth is this. Is that over the past century and more, there has been very similar sentiments amongst the public in general. Right? There has been similar sentiments amongst the public in general. That goes without question and is in need of no explanation. So I think historically, as you look at it, it is a combination of both. It is not an either or. It's not a situation of, has it just been that the studios refused to allow more diversity into Hollywood? Or has it been the fact that our culture, because of where our culture has been at varying decades... There hasn't been a high demand for it. That's a little bit of a combination of both. Though I would say that had in the 1940s or in the 1950s, if they had done certain movies, they may have found, they may have found an audience, but we'll never know. We'll never know. And it's when you understand that significant content, like today, we look back at shows like Star Trek in the 60s, right? We look back at shows like Star Trek and we we say, okay, yeah, they had Uhura. Okay, no big deal. Yeah. Like to our perception from our cultural context today, oh yeah, it's fine. That was crazy at the time. And there's a, there's an episode in Star Trek where Kirk and Uhura have a kiss. Okay, no, yeah, big deal. Who cares? Well, yeah, but you don't understand is that at that time, that was the first time ever on broadcast television of an interracial kiss. I mean, it was big stuff. So, yeah, I'd say it's more than just one. Dy- it's an excellent question, Will, but I'd say it's more just one dynamic. It's a bunch of different factors that all kind of pile in there at the same time. Okay, next up uh, My Comic Planet writes, part one. Hey, John. Did you hear the writer of Bill and Ted's movie, Ed Solomon, said yesterday about the We Got This Covered article, claiming that there would be a Bill and Ted 4. Uh, He retweeted it on his Twitter page and said, by the way, this film is not happening. Sorry. It was priceless. Do you think more people in the industry will start to call them out like Ed did? And can they be sued for doing things like this? All right. Yeah, We Got This Covered is a particularly problem. And look, I'm, I'm not... I'm not making any commentary on the overall quality of the overall body of work that We Got This Covered puts out. I'm strictly limiting my comments to their exclusive news that they put out. There is no greater culprit of pumping out false news, like completely wrong news, as We Got This Covered It does. And the problem is because We Got This Covered looks like a real legit site and they get a lot of traffic. When for a long time, when We Got This Covered would publish, no matter how ridiculous sounding the story is, they put out a story and 50 other outlets would go, would run the same headline saying, Oh, reports are out that such and such is happening. What we all learned about a year or more ago was that, Oh, if ever the originator of that story is We Got This Covered, we know to ignore it. Thing is. <clears throat> Hollywood, for understandable reasons, for the most part, a lot of people in Hollywood seem to have a policy of ignore it. Like the Hollywood industry, the writers, the directors, the studios, whatever, when there's BS stories that come out, for the most part, their stuff is just ignore it, just ignore and leave it alone. So no, I don't think you're going to see, with a few exceptions, every once in a while, you'll see somebody come out and say, by the way, that's not true. You will see that happen every once in a while. But for the most part, they just, eh, BS is BS and it's not my problem, you know? Can they be sued? No, they can't be sued. Not unless they do something like extremely, um, what's the best word to use here? That is extremely damaging, like if they put out something that's like specifically and extremely damaging to somebody on a personal level, then you can get into trouble. But no, you can't go over okay, the gate because all they have to say is, oh, hey, we heard somebody say this. So we're just saying what we heard. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah. But you got to be there are there is a line you could cross to get into liable, but that's a very, very, very stiff and difficult line to cross. So generally speaking, them just cranking out kind of fake news. No, they can't be they can't be sued. So there's really no negative repercussions for them, unfortunately. Um, Anyway, let's move on here. Uh, My Comic Planet also writes, hey, John, I guess you heard the big news yesterday that Disney is set to lay off over 28,000 employees. Yikes. I knew there would be layoffs due to the pandemic but I didn't think it would be this bad. How do you think this affects Disney going forward? Well, I mean, it's it's important to understand that as to my understanding of the story, it's 28,000 park workers. Workers at the various parks. Uh it's not the Dis- it's not Disney Studios that's laying off 28,000 people. It's not, you know, Disney Plus that's laying off 28,000 people. It's not Pixar that's laying off 28,000 people. To the best of my knowledge, and I could be incorrect about this, but to the best of my knowledge, it's primarily focused on park staff that that's happening with. Um, how does this? How does this affect them? Well, this is them make doing a response. Them laying off twenty eight thousand people isn't going to affect them in anything but a good way in response to a context in a pandemic that has affected them in a very bad way. This is Disney trying to now insulate itself a little bit and they listen hats off and, and big applause to, Hey, I'll, I'll give credit words. due. even though the parks have been closed, they have kept a lot of people officially on staff playing their paying their health benefit premiums and all that kind of stuff. Even when the parks have been closed and I, I, Hey, and, and there've been some other companies doing that as well. And I tip my hat. I tip my hat to those companies who have done that. But at some point, you got to go. If you're a company, we can't just keep throwing money out the window. We're closed. We're not in business. We don't have any work for these 28,000 people to do. At some point, we hung in there as long as we could. We got to lay them off. So they're doing so to try to conserve finances, which is that's what they need to do. That's their responsibility. Now, you'll see them come back once everything opens up again. Then they'll do a whole bunch of hiring and hopefully bring a lot of those people back. But for right now, yeah, and it's unfortunate because, you know, I'm a Disney Disneyland member. I want to go back to Disneyland again. But when it's right, when it's right. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. OK, so uh, let's see here. Anonymous rights. Hey, John, Robert, and Aaron. I know you don't like Ahsoka Tano. I do not like the character. No, I don't. Uh, Character yourself. But aren't you always uh, asking the people at Star Wars to give us new heroes to cheer for and new stories to follow? Just saying, and yes, I do like Ahsoka Tano. No, listen, you're in the majority and I'm in the minority. I I acknowledge that completely. I I am in the minority. I think it's a trash character. I, I think it's a terrible character. Like, I think the character's... That Dave Filoni created and gave us, like in Rebels, whether you're talking about Hera or uh, Ezra or Sabine, like I, I think those are all more infinitely better characters. But that's just me. And again, you don't have to tell me I'm in the minority. I acknowledge I'm in the minority. But, you know, it's like saying, I want something other than hamburgers tonight. Okay, here, eat this plate of dog poo. Well, no, I don't want to eat a piece of dog dog poo. Well, you said you want something other than hamburgers. So eat this plate of dog poo. Now, am I saying Ahsoka Tano's dog poo? No, it's not that bad. But just because, yes, I do want them to tell new stories with new characters. But that doesn't mean just give me any plate of dog poo and we'll just be, say, thank you, sir. May I have another? And they've done other great ones. Like I said, with Rebels, I think we've got a, a really great slew of really great characters um, in rebels, particularly Sabine Wren, Hera, I'm fascinated by, uh, Ezra still around. Uh, there's another key character, you know, that's dead. That's unfortunate. But, um, so yeah, I do want new stories and new characters, but at this point, you know, I want new because at this point, you know, the Ahsoka Tano character is now all they keep, They especially Dave Filoni, it's all he just keeps going back to. Everything's got to have a Tano. It's just Ahsoka Tano after Ahsoka Tano after Ahsoka Tano. It's just everything he does has to have Ahsoka Tano. I'm tired of it. Let's let's get something new. Let's get Mandalorian. That's brand new. So let's do some other new stuff. But again, I acknowledge I'm in the complete minority on that. I do. so, uh, But I'm perfectly comfortable being in the minority on that one. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Let's move on here. Uh, Anonymous writes, "With John Favreau not directing The Lion King two, do you think this is because he still plans on returning to direct Jungle Book two once he finishes up The Mandalorian? Uh, we haven't heard much about that film in a while, but it's supposedly still happening. I don't, I don't see any meaning in it. To be honest with you." I don't look at Jon Favreau not coming back to do two as anything because I think in a good, healthy franchise, I think it's perfectly good for another director to come in to do the sequel. I really do. Now, I know a lot of people feel like you got to bring back the original director. And sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes. But I also feel like it's a really good, you know, rejuvenating, fresh kick in the pants to sometimes maybe get a different director in. Besides that, I do think there's some other elements at play. Obviously, there's Jungle Book 2. By the way, there's that one Disney like Disneyland movie that Jon Favreau has kind of been talking about doing for like 10 years. I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. I personally, you know, I, I mildly thought before because Jon Favreau does have executive experience. Um, I mildly thought before, yeah, Jon Favreau could be a decent pick to replace kathleen kennedy when it's time for her to step down um but after watching for number one watching mandalorian but number two watching the behind the scenes like roundtables of mandalorian i'm watching that and you remember i talked about yesterday like i saw dave felonius like i've never been I've always liked Dave Filoni. I've never been more impressed with him than when I saw that behind the scenes and the roundtable stuff with Dave Filoni talking about Mandalorian. But I've also never become been more convinced that maybe John Favreau is the guy to take over from Kathleen Kennedy because I saw him as the executive. You know, a lot of people would say before that they wanted Dave Filoni to take over Kathleen Kennedy's job. Dave Filoni doesn't know the first thing about running a company. Dave Filoni doesn't know the first thing about telling live action stories, which he said himself in the Mandalorian behind the scenes documentary. You saw him on set going, I don't know what the F I'm doing. But that to me impressed me about him. He's going to be a great live action director, not a good live action director. He's going to be a great live action director. Take that to the bank. But John Favreau, You saw him managing the storytellers because in that executive role, the reason Kevin Feige is the head of Marvel isn't because he's a great director. That's irrelevant. The, The skills of a director are separate from the skills of being a true executive that runs an operation. They're completely different skill sets. One has nothing to do with the other. And we saw we saw John, John Fowler take a, a very, like a senior producing role with the MCU, working with Kevin Feige. We've seen him take over other things. And then now we see him actually overseeing and running all these other directors and all these other things and he's kind of coordinating all them putting each person in place that he thinks better suits their strengths and all that kind of stuff and to me that was an executive i was watching that and all i could think about was john favreau is an executive he's no longer just john favreau the actor who then when Iron Man came out, became John Favreau. We knew him then as John Favreau, the director. He's no longer that anymore. He is John Favreau, the executive. And I think he'll be great at that. And so I'm going to kind of secretly think to myself that maybe one of the contributing factors of him not doing a Jungle Book 2, not to mention, if you can get Barry Jenkins to come in and direct that <laughs> Academy Award caliber guy, that's great. But I'm going to hold on to the belief that maybe it's because he's getting ready to take over Lucasfilm as a whole. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. All right. Next up, Aaron uh, Nonica writes, Hey, John, did you see Borat Gift of Pornographic Monkey Device Premier Mikhail Pence to make benefit recently diminished nation of Kazakhstan variety? Will premiere on Amazon Prime in late October, right before the election. Uh, Was this the right move? Oh, it's absolutely the right move. I mean, if you have this movie made... And it is in many ways a political satire. Then you want to put it out at the height of political fever. Right? Then it's a brilliant move. It's kind of like putting out a Halloween movie right close to Halloween. If you're putting out a political satire movie, what better time to release it than at the absolute apex and height of political fever in the world right close to the american election i I think is brilliant it's the perfect time to release that sucker it's the perfect time to release it all right next up Uh, dwayne jackson writes Hello, John and friends. I finally watched Apocalypse War. Uh, the ending scene is serving as a DC rebirth to reboot the comics and animated verse. Not really. Uh, the Flash movie is serving as a soft reboot to the DCU. Nobody has ever said that. Uh, <laughs> like, Walter Hamada has never said that. Um, uh, are both somehow related uh, with both being reboots? No. And by the way, Apocalypse War, much like most DC. Sh- straight to animated stuff and much like most Marvel straight to anime apocalypse war was terrible I had so listen I've had on many occasions when I thought something looked bad and you guys convinced me to try it and then I loved it right um the expanse doom patrol harley quinn but every once in a while I get you guys telling me I should really tra- check something out because th- you'll think I really like it. Then I just watched it and go, no, that was garbage. Apocalypse War was garbage. It was terrible. Um, so no, I don't believe there's any connecting though. I don't think those are connected in any way, shape or form and nor should they be because that was a steaming hot pile of trash, that movie. I thought it's all subjective. It's all subjective. You may think differently and your opinion is no less and no more valid than mine. But yeah, my take on it was absolute garbage. Uh, Dwayne Jackson writes, hello john and friends with hbo being everything dc did you get hbo you probably meant do you think hbo should acquire netflix's dc library i think it would be a smart move to have all those properties under one roof what do you think it's all a matter of how much is it worth like all things being equal to have everything under one roof yes that's a good idea is it worth 30 million dollars to have it all under one roof no probably not and, you know, Netflix bought those rights. Netflix isn't going to give them up for free, not least until their lease is done. They're not just going to give them up. So is there a benefit to having them under one roof? Yes. But then you have to ask yourself, how much is it worth, right? Here's a great example. Uh, last weekend, Anne and I were sitting around watching something on TV. We were probably watching Ted Lasso, I think. And we were both suddenly in the mood for ice cream, which happens to me. From time to time. I don't know if you know that. I'm a big appreciator of the ice cream. So we're both in the mood for ice cream. So neither of us felt like getting out and driving to the store and picking some up. So we thought about, okay, let's let's uh let's call, you know, Postmates or Instacart or Uber Eats, or let's call one of those things. Let's get our app open and, and, and order it. And we were in the mood for this one place, but it ended up that just getting the ice cream. To get an ice cream for me and her with the service fees, tip, and all that kind of stuff, it was actually going to end up costing us almost $28. And so did we want ice cream? Yes. Were we willing to pay to have it brought to us? Yes. But at some point, the dollar value gets high enough that it's like, do I want ice cream? that bad? Like, is it worth 30 bucks to me right now to have some delicious ice cream in my hand right now? I don't know if it's worth $30 for me to do it. And so, yeah, I I think, yeah, I think absolutely DC, Warner, HBO would love all things being equal to have all the DC properties under their roof. But is it worth it to skip the wait until the licenses run out, To pay $10 million, $15 million, $8 million, $30 million? Money doesn't just magically appear out of the air. Is it worth that much to have it right there? Does the benefit equal the cost? And I would say if HBO Max thought the benefit equaled the cost, they would have done it. They would have done it like that. But they're probably thinking the benefit doesn't equal the cost the cost, that the cost exceeds the benefit. So they'll just wait. They'll just wait till the licenses expire. And so that's probably the best thing. All right. Next up, Uh, Ike uh, Wolko writes, uh, and who contributed $20. Thank you so much, man, for supporting the channel on that level. Yo, what up, John? It's my birthday. Happy birthday, Ike. And I'm so glad I get to spend it watching your show. I'm the guy who wrote about how it took three years to get a question answered on Mailbag. Idea for your next Case 4 video could be an analysis on who was writing Savore. I kid you not. Okay, so the videos that Ike is talking about, uh, you guys might remember I did two kind of videos recently one they're both over 20 minutes but I did a video on uh, an editorial video on a Disney Star Wars fans perspective on why the rise of Skywalker wasn't any good (laughs) Uh, from the because we've heard lots of people who just hate everything that's new Star Wars but I wanted to do a video as a person who is a fan of the Disney era Star Wars stuff And why I, as one of those people, really didn't like Rise of Skywalker. So I want to do one on that. And then I did my um, The Case for Man of Steel, the most underappreciated comic book film of all time. The most underrated comic book film of all time. I kid you not. I had a discussion a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about if we did another one of those editorials, what could it be? And honestly, one of the things we brought up was Civil War. And who, at the end of the day, between Tony and Steve was right when you actually sit down and analyze Civil War? I kid you not. That is one of the ones that was higher in our list. So maybe that will be the next one we do. Uh, now that you mention it, it might be fate. It's the fates. Odin, the All Father, has declared that that is what it should be. You are the sign. So maybe that will be the next one that we do. All right. Keep your eyes open for that, Ike. All right. Next up. Dwayne Jackson writes: Hey John and family, when a movie is bumped off its original release date and it's all already being marketed, does the studio have a have a set budget for extra marketing? Uh, meaning, does it have extra money since it's spent since it spent its original budget? How does that work? All right, so there's there's a couple things to keep in mind here. The studio does not spend any money on the marketing. The distributor spends money on the marketing. In the life cycle of a movie, there are two distinct entities, the studio that makes the movie, the distributor who then takes that movie and decides what to do with it. Marketing, put it in theaters, put it straight to DVD or HBO or wherever. The distributor then does that. Now, in the case of big major studios like Disney, they have several divisions. Disney has its own studio arms. And Disney happens to have its own distribution arm, right? Warner Brothers has its own studio arm, but it also has its own distribution arm. A lot of studios do not, though. So there are two different things. So, so just as case in point, the studios, speaking technically, don't spend money on the marketing. The distributors do. But, yeah, that's why. that's where it becomes expensive. It's not a small thing to change your release date, especially if you're getting close to that release date. Now, look, if you had a movie that was coming out in a year and then you decided to bump it another three months, no big deal, you haven't really started spending, not really, you haven't really started spending your marketing budget yet. Maybe you made some posters, maybe you made a couple of announcements, but really you haven't started spending the real money yet on marketing So the movie was still a year away. But yeah, like when you're in a situation like that uh, G.I. Joe movie that Dwayne The Rock Johnson did, where I think think we got like almost like two months away from when that movie was supposed to come out. The marketing machine of that G.I. Joe movie was already in full gear and they were dropping millions of dollars in marketing for that movie coming out in two months. And then all of a sudden they bumped it six, seven, eight, nine months a year. I can't remember. They bumped it a significant difference. That means they were just going to have to spend all that money again later. So moving the release date of something, the closer you get to it, becomes a serious matter because you're talking serious marketing dollars. And yes, they have to pony up for it. They got to, unless they just don't want to market it anymore, they got to pony up for it again. And it's an expensive decision. That's why you always got to be very sure when you move a release date. You gotta be very sure when you're moving a release date. I mean, and it's it it should also be said it probably impacts it less. Um it probably impacts it less when the movies say only bumped by like a week, right? Like if you had if you're spending all your marketing money and it gets if for a movie that's coming out in four weeks. And then you just bump it two weeks. Well, then you haven't really lost your – you haven't really lost any of your marketing money because it's still going to work. But yeah, when you bump it for like six months down the road, there's a cost, man. There's a cost. All right. GQ writes, who is the better actor, Stallone, Arnold, or The Rock? Um, That's actually an easy question. Uh, it's, It's Sylvester Stallone is the best actor out of that bunch. Sylvester Stallone, He there's actually been films where he has literally given Academy Award kind of level performances. As a matter of fact, he has Academy Award nominations. Um, and I would say his best, for, I don't know that he got an award nomination for it. Let me look it up here. He did this movie a bunch of years ago called Copland uh, in 1997. It's so like 23 years ago. Incredible cast. Sylvester Stallone, Ray Liotta, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, Peter Burr, Janine Garofalo, Robert Patrick, Michael Rappaport. I mean, on and on and on and on. It is a killer, killer cast. Uh, I don't know if he got nominated for that. No, he did not get nominated for that. But I'm telling you, it is one of Stallone's best performances that he did. I, I actually really love this little movie he did called Copland. Copland it's I thought it was fantastic and I thought his performance in it was incredible not everybody loves it but I thought it was incredible um Schwarzenegger he's got an undeniable charisma on screen yes is he a great thespian Arnold will tell you himself that he's not a great thespian um certainly not an academy award level one and the rock who is by the way turned into a very respectable actor Especially when you want look at movies like Snitch, or uh, Faster, or things like that, he has turned in some. He's he's he has become a very respectable actor, in my opinion. Academy Award level yet, no. So to me, it's actually quite an easy answer. To me, it's Stallone. Stallone is probably the best pure thespian out of that that uh, that group. All right, next up, uh, Preston the Kryptonian writes. After watching that mess of debate last night, it made me think of how far off debate, <clears throat> how far off a debate between President Camacho and President Dale from Mars attacks would go. I know you don't like political talk, but I thought it was funny. I, yeah, I'm not going to get into any politics. I'm not going to get into any politics myself, but uh, I think I think your, um, I think your illustration is apt. I think your illustration is apt. Thanks for sharing that, Preston. And an anonymous viewer writes. Hey, John and Rob, who's obviously not here today. I was watching your show last night and you mentioned how you watch HBO Max through your iPad and you bounced uh, to Roku as well. Have you two thought about trying Nvidia Shield? Uh, It is really made for game streaming, but it's great for video. Listen, I remember about a year and a half, pardon me, a year and a half ago, I gave some very serious thought to getting an Nvidia Shield. I really did. Partially for the gaming stuff. Uh, but now they've got so many, there's so many gaming options now, especially through Xbox and their Game Pass. I'm really thinking about getting that Xbox Game Pass thing so I can actually play all their games and not have to have an Xbox. Um, there's a lot of different options for it now. But one of the other appealing things was, you know, as a media, pl- as a streaming platform. I'm very, very happy with, at the end of the day, though, it's just I'm very happy with Roku. I mean that's just the bottom line. I, I am very very happy with Roku. I'm very happy with the channel selection. I'm very happy with the unofficial channels that you can also go and get for these things. There's some fabulous unofficial channels that I use. Um, I'm just yeah really I just I like the interface of Roku. I'm just a really big fan of the uh, thing. It's it's quick. It's responsive. I have one of the newer ones. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of like that. But yeah, Nvidia Shield. It's a nice... I haven't looked at it in over a year because, you know, I I ultimately really decided was sticking in the Roku ecosphere, but NVIDIA Shield looked really good to me. So that's a nice one to recommend, Anonymous. All right. Abe10Alpha writes, I had an easier time hearing the dialogue in Tenet than I did watching the presidential (laughs) debates. Again, I'm not personally going to go into it. I'm staying out of that, Uh, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's one of the good comments of the day, Abe. Eh? Well said. All right. Anonymous viewer writes, after using NVIDIA Shield, I don't see myself using anything else. Uh, it act, it accesses everything really fast. Great job, uh, you guys, in your show. You two make a great team, and your shows always kill my boredom. Well, thank you so much. I love Listen, I love having Aaron on the show. I've been working with Rob for years now. You know, I've gotten to work over the years with some really, truly great people. Uh, that's been one of the, the the highlights for me is that I, I've had not just got to work with them, but also got to learn. Everybody I work with I learn a little bit from, right? And and I think everybody I've worked with has made me better, you know uh, because I got to work with them and their talents. And um, you know it's certainly the people I work with now, Aaron and Rob are are no exceptions to that. So thank you for sharing that. All right. Michael H Jones writes who sends in $20. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate that, man. Uh, Hey, John, if you've been watching, sorry, Hey John, have been watching you and a Patreon supporter for three years. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter, my friend. I appreciate that. Thank you for all you do really like the first clip of your documentary. So last night I shared the first ever clip of my upcoming documentary uh, movie trailer is a love story. I shared the first clip last night with my Patreon supporters. Now I am going to be releasing later today. I'm going to publicly be releasing the clip. Turns out I actually put up the wrong clip. I mean, it's the right clip, but I rendered it out from the wrong version of the movie. So there was a couple of things missing from the clip that you guys saw on Patreon last night, but it's, it's essentially the one I'm going to be releasing later today is essentially this is essentially the same clip um but yeah a little keep your eyes on the youtube channel a little bit later today i'm going to be releasing the first clip uh from my documentary give you guys a first taste of it and uh i think it's going to be available by the end of november at the very least by the end of the year that we're going to have the movie available but um yeah going to be releasing the first clip of it later so i'm glad you enjoyed it michael thank you so much man i appreciate that and thank you for being one of our patreon supporters man all right next up mandalorian of gondor writes hey john uh, i've been trying to make my way in the film industry but after those debates last night i'm really eyeing vancouver as a place to move uh are there any other canadian cities that are hot spots for filming calgary montreal thanks and stay safe i actually saw some trending stuff on social media about moving to canada was like a major trending thing on social media hey best place in the world to move man is canada uh vancouver is great vancouver listen my favorite Canadian city, other than the city of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, which is the greatest city in the world in my opinion, but Toronto is New York, but clean. It's not the best way to put it. Toronto is like seriously one of the greatest cities in the world. Like Toronto is is incredible. Uh, and I, I am naturally supposed to hate Toronto because Toronto and Hamilton do not like each other. Uh, but uh, but really, Toronto is like just one of the greatest places in the world. But the thing about Vancouver is a lot of production happens in Vancouver because you literally get everything in Vancouver. You want to shoot your movie in the woods? you Vancouver, all the wildlife and nature in the world there, the most beautiful scenic places in the world are in Vancouver and Alberta, which is right beside it. You want major metropolitan areas, you got Vancouver, one of the, the greatest shining jewels of a city on the planet. Uh, multiculturalism, I mean, you got everything there. So a lot of stuff shoots there. If you weren't going to go there, I, then Toronto. Then Toronto's the place you got to be. A lot of stuff shoots in Toronto and right around. To, hell, a lot of stuff shoots in my hometown of Hamilton. A lot of stuff shoots there. Like even like Doom Patrol. Uh uh, incredible Hulk team tight like Titans right now like a lot of stuff shoots in Hamilton Ontario so Ben Hamilton's only 45 minutes for Toronto so like I think either you'd be good Vancouver or the Toronto Hamilton area you should be good all right next up a uh, man of Gondor also writes the following six DC heroes have had little to no screen time in live action. Who is your favorite, and who would you potentially who would potentially work best in live action, whether TV or film? Adam Strange. Well, they've kind of didn't they've already kind of done Adam Strange, really. Um, Animal Man, Blue Beetle, Booster Gold, The Question, and Zatanna. Thanks. Love all you do. Well, I mean, from a from a marketing point of view, Zatanna, right? Zatanna is a very popular character. I mean, and seriously, every Halloween, I see a lot of Zat- Zatanna costumes, like a lot. And they've been tying her more and more in with Constantine as well uh, in different mediums. So there's a marketability to that one. Listen, for a long time, there have been whispers about, P- about the studios trying to get something going with Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. There's a buddy cop concept there as, as a movie or as a TV show, probably more as a movie, but there's a buddy cop concept there that could be gold. So from a marketing point of view, Zatanna, but the one that I think could really click potentially, I mean, it could be awful, but the one that could potentially really click, I would go uh, booster golden blue beetle. All right. <clears throat> Dark Knight Rises writes, Hey, John, Steven Spielberg once quoted as saying there are only seven true movie stars in the world, and Sean Connery was one of them. I always was curious, who were the other six he was referring to? No idea. I've heard him mention that before, but I I, I cannot remember for the life of me who they were. I can't even remember when Spielberg said that, to be honest with you. Uh, So unfortunately, no, I'm sure a very, very quick, easy Google search would probably answer that question, though, Dark. Uh, No problem. But Sean Connery, yeah, he would definitely have been one of them, particularly in the day. Uh, In his day, he totally would have been one of them. Uh, Okay, next up, um, we've got Dallas Cowboys, who are one and two. I really don't like the Dallas Cowboys, (laughs) who are one and two right now. Anyway, should be 0-3. If it wasn't for that stupid onside kick last week, the Dallas Cowboys should be 0-3 anyway. Hey, John, my friend and I found out uh, Miss Cummings is from Texas. Yes, she is. Uh, and went to university not too far from us up here in the North Texas area. We're big fans of her as well as the show. Just wanted to send a special greetings from the Lone Star State. Well, thank you so much for that, Dallas Cowboys. As a matter of fact, I'm going over to uh, Aaron's tonight. Me and Ann are going to go over and hang out at Aaron and Tom's tonight. Going to go have dinner, play some games, watch a little bit of the Lakers. Uh uh, NBA championship start tonight. Lakers in the heat. Uh, so that should be fun. Looking forward to that. So I will pass that along, Dallas Cowboys uh, fan. I will make sure she knows you said that. Thank you for that. I'm sure she'll appreciate that. All right. Lee Crow writes, just thought I'd let you know that I bought two six-packs of Zevia. That's what I've got here. I got my Zevia right here. Sponsor me, you sons of bitches! Um, I got my six pack of Zevia because you're talking about it all the time. What flavor do you get? Sponsor him, you sons of bitches. That's right. I always get the same one. I've liked other ones, but I'm I am really a sucker for their cola. And you can see right here. Wait a second. Let me get, cover my face so the autofocus will get it. There it is. Uh, the cola flavor. That that's my. Uh, by the way, how great is this autofocus on the Sony? A-series. The Sony A-series autofocus is like, I think it's even better than Canons. But anyway, that's just me. Uh, the cola flavor. The cola flavor is the one I really like to go to. Alright, uh, Dark Knight Rises writes, hey John, two of my favorite books about the movie industry are Sidney Lamette's um, Making Movies and A Star is Found by casting director Jane Jenkins. I'm not familiar with that one, to be honest. Um, uh, Do you have any other good book recommendations? Yeah, I actually have that one by Sidney Lumet because uh, my A buddy of mine who's a director <laughs> actually gave me that book years ago. Actually, it was when I was in the process of – I was already well into the process of making my my little rom-com movie, The Anniversary, and he gave me that book, and it's fantastic. There's another great one that even if you're not an actor but want to get a better sense of filmmaking is – I think it's called Acting for Film. I think that's what it's called, but it's by Michael Caine. And I think, again, I think the title is acting for film. I also have that one. There is a terrific one. That's a great general one called the filmmakers handbook, the filmmakers handbook. I think it's, and they put it every like four or five years, they put out a new edition of it, a new updated edition of it to reflect changing technologies and reflect the changing of the industry. I think if they're on like their fifth edition now, it's absolutely uh, 100% fantastic um another one that i have is called the tools of screenwriting by david howard uh, so that's another one because i also do, i would do a lot of my own writing so i've gotten i've got several books on screenwriting the best one of those is the, the tools of screenwriting uh david howard uh, i would check that one out so again but the, if i had to recommend one to somebody It really is the Filmmaker's Handbook. I I was one of the first filmmaking books I ever bought. And to this day, I still have it. I mean, I, I still go back to it every once in a while. And I've got one of the older editions. I think I got like the second edition or something. I think now they're on like edition five. But that's one you might want to check out. Okay, next up. Uh, Nixon magic rights who tips in $20. Thank you, Nixon for supporting the channel on that level, dude. Um, should Christian Bale return as Batman with Christopher Nolan's blessing to honor the previous installments of the Nolan verse and can, and consider roles in the flash movie and, or a justice league reboot. Let me know your thoughts. No, <clears throat> I'll tell you why, because Christopher Nolan wants nothing to do with that. Christopher Nolan does not want his iteration of Batman considered at all as a part of anything else going on in DC. He was very, very clear about that. And I'll tell you what else. One of the factors that went into George Miller's uh, Justice League movie that he was going to do, that uh, where Army Hammer was going to be Batman, they were like just weeks away from starting to shoot that. One of the reasons that thing ultimately got its plug pulled, and there are other bigger reasons, but one of the contributing factors is Christopher Nolan was not happy that they were going to be doing another movie with a different Batman while he had his Batman going. So listen, anything is possible, right? Batman doesn't belong to Christopher Nolan. It belongs to Warner brothers, but they also don't like to piss off Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, may he does not want his Batman or his films in any way associated with any of that other stuff. So because of that, I don't think you're going to see Christian Bale do that. So I don't, I think there's no chance that Chris, that Christopher Nolan gives his blessing, but Warner brothers doesn't need his blessing. Warner brothers doesn't need his blessing, but I just don't think they want to piss him off. And on top of that, I really don't believe Christian Bale would do it without Christopher Nolan blessing it. And I just don't see Christopher Nolan blessing it. He was very clear about that stuff before. So, I mean, listen, things can change. Things can absolutely change. But number one, I don't think they should. And number two, there's no need for Christian Bale's Batman. I think that would just dilute it too much. So I don't think there's any need for it personally. All right, next up. Superman Steve writes, Hey, John, I watched the original Saw movie for the first time. I like the original Saw movie. You got Wesley in there. Um, How did Shawnee Smith not win an Oscar for her performance? Because it wasn't Oscar worthy. Uh, It was great, but it wasn't Oscar worthy. She nailed that movie. Also, what happened to Spiral? Uh, Sorry, I've not written in a long time. Had a lot going on. No problem, man. But uh, let me just bring – let me bring up the original Saw movie here. So um, – wow. Because Car- I always mispronounce his name. Carrie Yules? Hold on a second. I lost all of a sudden. <clears throat> I think it's Carrie Yules. Where is it? Elvis? I always mispronounce his name too. He was Wesley in Princess Bride. Um, so, yes. So, Shawnee Smith played Amanda. Which I mean, I, I, it wasn't even that that big of a role, to be honest with you. Um, Spiral is, of course, the one that. Um, oh, Chris Rock, Chris Rock's supposed to be doing that. Is a good question. Whatever happened to that movie? Let me look. I'll say. Let me pull this up here. I think it got moved to 2021. Okay, here it is, right here. It got it's officially moved to May 21st, 2021. I believe it was originally supposed to come out in 2020. I think. Or maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe it was always supposed to come out in May of 2021, but I thought it was supposed to come out this year. At any rate, it's coming out right now. It's officially listed as May 2021. So it's got Chris Rock, and it's also got that dude um, who's from Handmaid's Tale, whose name is eluding me, but he comes from uh, uh, Handmaid's Tale. So there's that. But anyway, yes, right now, Spiral, the next Saw kind of movie is, uh, and I'll bring it up here so you guys can see what we're talking about. <clears throat> and there you see chris rock and the guy from handmaid's tale uh this is a saw universe movie uh spiral from the book of saw is the original is the actual full title spiral from the book of saw uh right now scheduled for may of 2021 so keep your eyes open for that all right next up gia 97 writes uh hey guys did you watch the devil all the time what do you think about tom holland's performance? still haven't watched it to be honest I, I, it's hard you know what it's really difficult for me when a trailer for something comes out that completely misses with me and i was interested in devil all the time because of tom holland because of robert pattinson and then the trailer came out and i re- i found the trailer unbearably boring Hmm. And I felt like I've seen it all before, but for whatever reason, the trailer lost me. And so it killed all my enthusiasm for the movie. And so I just, I've never brought myself to watching it yet. I've heard it's okay. I've heard devil all the time is okay, but I've heard Tom Holland is really good in it. Now I, again, I'm not speaking from firsthand experience cause I haven't seen the movie myself, but I have heard that Tom Holland is quite good in it. So Uh, Hopefully in the next couple of days, I'll finally sit down and pop on Netflix. You know what? I was going – I was thinking about watching it last night, but there's that little video game documentary series that's on Netflix right now. I can't remember the name of it, and so we just watched a couple episodes of that instead. But I will get around to watching that at some point. Okay. Uh, Jesse C. writes – Saw The Way Back and Invisible Man, nice back-to-back doubleheader. Ben's performance was great. Ben's performance in The Way Back was fantastic. I loved Affleck in that. Uh, was great. And now, and wow, I now wish I got to see The Invisible Man in theaters. Not a scary horror movie, an emotional horror movie. Also, Aldous Hodge, that man is a, is, is superhero body ready. He absolutely is. He was great. Now, listen, I've said before, I don't have a large sample size of Aldous Hodge's acting work to know like how good do I think he's going to be? How good do I think he can be? I've just got too small of a sample size for him. Uh, But that sample size, that sample of his work in Invisible Man was great. I'm excited for that. And absolutely like the way back was very good. I, I didn't think it was like, the best movie of the year or anything but i thought it was very good but ben's performance was fantastic if the oscars were being held today in this very weird 2020 ben would have to be one of the nominees i would think it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do with the oscars uh but at any rate that's where i'm at right now but yeah invisible man i you know I got to go back and watch it again. I saw it a few times when it came out. I got to go back and watch it again. I really enjoyed that film. You know what? I did think it was legitimate in a couple of scenes. I thought it was legitimately kind of scary, but uh, it was just great tension. That scene, if you haven't seen the movie, you won't know what I'm talking about. So it's not spoiling anything. What about that scene in the restaurant? How great was that scene in the restaurant? Pretty great. All right, next up uh, my comic planet writes. Hey, John, did you hear the surprising news that the LA Comic-Con is a go for an in-person event this December? I think tickets are on sale now. How dangerous do you think this decision is? And does it set a new important precedent for future conventions? I had heard something about that. How dangerous do I think it'll be? It really all depends. Like, going to the grocery store can be dangerous right now. But if the grocery store you go to has the proper safety protocols in place and the proper rules, and most importantly, they're enforcing those rules, they can actually be pretty safe. Going to the movie theaters right now, Could be a very dangerous thing. But if you go to a movie theater that has proper safety procedures in place and the proper rules and are properly following those rules, like the theater, the two theater experiences I've had, then it can actually be quite a safe environment. So it really all depends on what are they going to do with this? Um, How are they going to manage this? are they going to limit how many people can be in the convention center at one time? Will they have a particular limit on how many people can be in any particular panel at a time? Will they be doing temperature checks at the door requiring masks and all that? It, it all depends. And then, and how strict are they going to be and, and how limiting will they be? I mean, so the answer is it could be dangerous. It could not be dangerous. It really all depends on until I know what their specific protocols are going to be. It's impossible to say. If they're only going to let in one person for every 30 square feet of space that they have in the convention center and they're going to limit to 20 percent capacity in every ballroom and they're going to be requiring masks and hand sanitizing and temperature checks and all that kind of stuff, then it actually could be no more dangerous than going to the grocery store if done right if not done right it could be a very dangerous situation so i i mean i don't know until we know specifically what their protocols are going to be it's hard to kind of evaluate how dangerous or not dangerous that particular scenario will be good question though comic planet all right next up fabian uh vegas writes Hey, John, I'm anxiously awaiting the Amazon Lord of the Rings series. Oh, me too, man. Did you hear the news that Swedish actress uh, Moifred Clark has been cast as Galadriel? What do you think of this? I'm kind of disappointed we won't get Blanchett back and I'm open to new things. Yeah, there was a part of me that thought maybe getting Kate Blanchett was a possibility. I mean, depending. I mean, I thought if Galadriel's role in this show was going to be very small, like, you just have to get Kate Blanchett to show up for a day, then maybe there's a possibility of that, but it's perfectly okay that it's not her. It's perfectly okay that it's not her. It would have been awesome if it was, but it's not, so it's fine. I, I'm not really familiar with Moira Clark's work too much. I mean, maybe if I look her up and, and do so, I, I can't really speak too much to that. But yes, I was also a little bit disappointed that's not going to be Blanchett. But again, it's not a big deal. It's not a a deal breaker by any stretch of the imagination. But I am very excited for the show, man. I'm very excited for the show. All right. Casey McNatt writes, hey, John, how are you today? I'm doing well today. Thank you. I was just wondering during the October season, do you ever plan a 31 days of horror marathon? No, I do not. Uh, I usually plan one every year. And this year I am looking at international horror movies because I feel like I don't give them a chance. Oh, and dude, listen. The international horror movies are some of the best ones in the world. I mean, there's there's a strong, strong case that a lot of the internet, particularly like the Asian markets, they know how to do horror better than we do. I mean, rom-coms, we do them best. Big comic book films, we do them best. But honestly, I feel like horror, I feel like there's a lot of different international markets that have just learned how to do horror better than us. And so, and it's not just the Asian markets either. So I think that's a great I think it's a great thing for you to do. I, I don't personally listen. I'm not the I like a good horror movie as much as anybody, but I'm not really a horror movie guy. So, no, I, I don't personally plan a 31 days of horror or anything like that for myself around this time of year. But but I let me tell you, I think your idea of focusing on international horror this year. Great call. I think you're going to be very, very pleasantly surprised when you uh, when you go and make your selections. All right, Chris, thirty. writes, Hey, John, any plans for new episodes of Best Movie, Worst Movie? Love your podcast and listen to every episode at least 10 times already. Would love some new ones. Thanks for all your great work. It has been difficult. So first of all, absolutely, yes. Best Movie, Worst Movie. That's the one with me, Cody Miller, and uh, Robert Meyer Burnett. It is absolutely going to be returning. It has been difficult. Because uh, with Cody not living here and Cody was prepping for the Olympics. And then there was all the drama with the Olympics, obviously. And now his wife is now eight months pregnant. Ali is now eight months pregnant. And uh, so, there's, so we're going to probably have to still wait for a few more beats before. But we, we absolutely plan on getting back to best movie, worst movie. We absolutely do. But it's still going to be a few months off. It's still going to be a few months off. But but we will get back to it. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to that podcast. We have a lot of fun making that one. We have a lot of fun making that one. Thank you for listening to it. All right. Darth Rootsky writes... Uh, Hey, John, wrong. (laughs) Haha, Daniel Day-Lewis could pull it off. We're talking about Daniel Day-Lewis' Conan. Could pull it off. All hail old man Conan. Seriously, though, as a collector of the Conan comics and books, there is such great content to pull from. Not that they need to, they just need a good story. Listen, that's the one thing a lot of people don't realize is how much Conan lore there really is. You know, I first became really aware of that because of John Schnepp. John Schnepp had a lot of the old Conan stuff, and up until that point, like I knew there was the older serialized stuff, and I knew about the movie, but I didn't know there was that much lore material. And like I said, Schnepp was the one that really brought made me aware of that. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot they could draw from, or they could go completely original, but uh, it's they're going to have choices. And what's cl- what's important here is that the deal that Netflix has made has been with the people who hold all the literary rights. So not everybody can draw, if you're going to do a Conan thing, which I believe Conan is a public domain figure, but if you're going to do a Conan thing, kind of like Thor, you, you can make a Thor movie. Did you know that? You can make a Thor movie if you want to. Disney does not own the rights to Thor. Disney owns the rights to their iteration of Thor. <clears throat> right? So you could do your own thing of Thor. You just can't do anything with your Thor that Marvel made up for their Thor. So if Marvel came up with something that was for their Thor, you can't use that with your own Thor. But if you want to make a Thor movie, you can. I believe Conan, I could be wrong about this, but I believe Conan is a public domain character. But, you know, there are people who own uh, rights to a lot of the older stuff. To Conan. You wouldn't be able to take from that. So Netflix, I believe, is making the deal with the people who own the literary rights, and therefore they can draw on that if they want to, which I think is pretty interesting. All right. Uh, Jesse writes, Well, John, if movie theaters go extinct, at least I can say the last one I saw in theaters was 1917 back in February. What an amazing theatrical experience that was. That was, I mean, listen, all movies are better on the big screen. All movies. But there are some that you must see on the big screen like 40 year old virgin is better on the big screen but you don't have to see the the 40 year old virgin on the big screen 1917 you will never fully appreciate it unless you saw it on the big screen you you can still like it and you can still love the film but you'll never be able to fully appreciate it Unless it's on the big screen. I feel like the Lord of the Rings are like, there's a lot of films like that too, but 1917 is absolutely one of those, Jesse. I'm glad you got a chance to see it on a big screen. All right, Russell Amador writes... Hey, John, I truly miss the days of reading box office reports. Me too, man. I love an- analyzing box office. I love it. Uh, box office reports, joining in on fantasy box office games, teaser trailers to trailers, complaining about 30 minutes worth of ads before a movie. Hopefully sooner rather than later, this can be the normal again. I I agree. I agree. Uh, but again, as long as we live in a culture where a significant number of the people are morons um, and won't take this thing seriously. um, It's going to be later rather than sooner. It's going to be later rather than sooner. Unfortunately, I, you know, I, this thing would have been done by now. The virus wouldn't have disappeared altogether, but the crisis would have been done by now. If, if, We as people who live in this country that I live in right now had taken things as seriously as say New Zealand did. Our whole everything would be so much closer. Maybe not 100% back to normal, but we would be so much closer back to being normal by now. But we're not. And now everybody's got to suffer because of the actions of some morons. Is what it is but uh, I agree Uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, but it will probably be later rather than sooner. If at all. Uh, Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Um, Jason writes and tips in $20. Thank you for supporting the channel on that level. Jason. Appreciate that, man. Hey, John and Rob, did you see that Disney plus added a group watch feature? Uh, I think this will be a fun addition being able to sync and watch with family and friends, especially with new Marvel and Mandalorian content coming. Your thoughts? Yes. Yes. But it's not great. Here's the problem. So Disney, for those of you who haven't seen this, Disney Plus has added a feature where you, and I think it's up to eight people, can sync a piece of content on Disney Plus and you can all watch it at the same time. There are some big limitations with it though. First of all, is how many people can do it? I think I think the limit is eight. One of the other big limitations is you can't chat as you're doing it. Now, Netflix has like the Netflix party that I think we did a Netflix party watch. I think we did it for – what did we do it for? I feel like it was for one of the – oh, we did it for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We did a Netflix watch party, right? And we were able to have a ton of people in there and we were able to have the chat and we were able to do all that and it was great. <clears throat> I love that feature. So yes, Disney Plus has rolled out a version of this, but right now it's still really limited. So it's 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 limited enough that it doesn't get me excited yet. But they will improve it. Uh, they will improve it. It will get better. And this is a start. So I, I am looking for, honestly, I think a really good watching a watch along app to be on things like HBO max and Netflix and Disney plus and Amazon prime. I think they're all going to have them at some point. I think that's going to make like group watching experiences pretty fun. I mean, if you can't be in the theater, eh, it's not as good, but you can make the best of it. And I think these group watching features can help you make the best of it. So I think it's great. It's just that the feature itself isn't great yet. Certainly not as good as Netflix's version, but it'll get there. the, The important thing is that they've started. All right. Jesse writes, just saw a teaser for the spider-man ps5 remaster that they uh and they changed the facial model of peter and it looks like a bad deep fake of tom holland a strange decision at best i have not seen that let me see if that whole second um spider man PlayStation remaster let me see here oh my goodness I I am looking at it right now. Let me see. I don't know if you're gonna be able to see this good enough, but I'm looking at this right now. You're right. It does look a little different. I'm going to have to go through and watch this thing to see that. I mean, it's an interesting decision trying to go back afterwards. Like did Tom Holland, something? to be honest, it doesn't look an awful lot like Tom Holland. It, but it does look different. That's interesting. I'm going to thank you for putting that on my radar. Jesse, I'm going to have to go in and check that out. Thank you for putting that there. That looks interesting. Okay. Uh, next up. Final question of the day <clears throat> comes to us. It's, it's amazing how much faster we get through everything when it's just me here by myself. Uh, the Gerinator writes, Hey John, I assume uh, you appreciate Zack Snyder's vision for his movies better than most. Another controversial director is Guy Ritchie. What are your thoughts on his movies on his movie, King Arthur? I feel the movie will be liked better given uh, given time than first released. Listen, I love Zach Ritchie, or Zach Ritchie. I love Guy Ritchie. I love Guy Ritchie. Um, Lock, Stock, Snatch is one of my top 20. All- Snatch doesn't make it in my top 10 of all time, but Snatch is in my top 20. Uh, all-time favorite movies. <clears throat> what Guy Ritchie did with Aladdin, I always- I thought it was a strange choice. I love Guy Ritchie, but I thought him directing Aladdin was a strange choice. Strange choice, but I loved Aladdin. I loved his version. I thought his Aladdin, not, not as good as the original, but I loved it. I, I was just pure joy watching that, pure joy. I loved, I really like what he did with the uh, Sherlock Holmes stuff. I'm a big Guy Richie fan, and I'll tell you what, everybody hated that King Arthur movie that he did with, um, oh, who's the dude who plays Jax? What's his name again? Uh, who plays jacks in Sons of Anarchy? I'm gonna kick myself that I didn't remember his name. Charlie Hunnam. Um Charlie Hunnam is Arthur. Everybody hated that movie. Except me. I had a lot of fun with it. Was it Guy Ritchie's best movie? No. Does it have issues? Yes. But it is a definitively Guy Ritchie movie. And I know most people hate it, and I know a lot of you guys probably hated it too. I'll tell you what though I had a lot of fun with that movie. I did. I, I enjoyed Guy Ritchie's King Arthur and and I agree with you. I think King Arthur is gonna be like Man of Steel. I, I mean, it's not as good as Man of Steel. don't get me I'm not saying King Arthur is good as Man of Steel. It's not. but I think like Man of Steel, I think as years go by, as people go back to maybe revisit it and give it another shot, they might find that they actually appreciate it a little bit more than they did the first time. I don't know that. I, I'm, I'm just guessing. But I thought there was such a great frantic kind of pace to it. Again, it has its issues. There are things about it that even I didn't like. But overall, I got a kick out of that movie. But that's just me. All right, guys. That will do it for today's installment of the John Cabea Show. Thank you guys so much for being here and being a part of the show once again again guys I want to remind you if you haven't done so already make sure you click on that subscribe button become a subscriber to the channel keep up to date on all the things that we got going on around here also make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your podcasting app of choice and uh, check out the audio version when you can't be in front of a YouTube channel thank you to all of you guys for spending part of your day here with us today special thank you to all of you who sent in the live questions because number one you gave us great fun things to talk about and number two you supported this channel while you did it and all of us here thank you very much for that guys please remember to do the four main things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you that'll do it for me guys thanks a lot for being here my name is john campia and until next time my friends bye-bye